Hello and welcome to the Smells Like Infinite Sadness podcast. I'm your host, Michael Taylor. Those of you who don't know, I run the website, SmellsLikeInfiniteSadness.com. It's a blog covering the best alternative rock from the 80s and 90s up to present day. I am a proud middle-aged Gen Xer who is still obsessed with the music of his youth and loves to talk about it. And today's special guest is Matt Fink, also known as Dr. Fink. You know him best as the surgical scrub-wearing keyboardist for Prince and the Revolution. Last year, the Revolution reformed the tour to tribute to the late frontman Prince, and they're on the road again and be playing Austin, Texas at Emo's on December 29th. In today's interview, I speak to Fink about what inspired the band to do a second trek of the tour, what the set list might entail this time around, his recollections of, of Prince and the Revolution during their 80s heyday for first joining the band and meeting Prince, the songwriting process, and the experience behind making the film and album of Purple Rain. We also discuss the possibility of new Revolution material and much more, so sit back and enjoy. Well, I guess my first question was, I know you guys had a well-received tour last year. I actually saw you all in Austin. It was a really great show. really enjoyed it. So I was. Oh, thank you. I was kind of curious what inspired y'all to do a second run. Oh well, we just uh, you know we we enjoyed it so much. We just wanted to do some more dates, bring it to the people who did, weren't able to make it the first time around. You know. And will there be any variations on the set list time around? Have you guys talked about worked on any new songs, or I, I guess not new songs, but worked on any tracks that weren't played in the last tour? Any surprises fans could expect? Or. Uh yeah, maybe a couple. Yeah. Looks like we're talking about a couple right now, adding them to the show. And one thing I was always curious about, about uh, the revolution now that, you know, it's, it's in Prince's absence. Uh, what was it like the first time you all played without him? And was that kind of like an emotionally charged experience? Or, or can you remember the first time you all uh, worked without Prince and how that felt with everyone? Yeah, that was in uh, the first three days of September of 2016 when we did the, uh, initial shows at first Avenue. And, uh, yeah, that was the first time that we did that. And, um, yes, it was very uh, difficult, <laughs> especially the first night. Yeah. I can imagine. Very, very, emo- very emotional. And, um, you know, but it gets better with time. Now that we're out doing it and we've got such a, a great, uh, friend in uh, Stokely Williams, who's uh, handling some of the front man duties. So uh, that helps a lot. When you all got back together, you know, to do this, this tour, how much reconfiguring was involved as far as, you know, doing songs without Prince, how much uh, work did that take to, to kind of arrange that? And did it kind of give you a new perspective on the music you all used to make together? Definitely. You know, there, there are certain songs that uh, go well, that we can pull off okay without him. And then there are some that just uh, don't work unless he's there. So we do, we just omit them from the show or we don't, we don't even try to bring them up or it's just too difficult to make it work. And, you know, you'd have, there are certain vocal things that he did that make it difficult for just about any singer to fill his shoes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I mean, I'm sure that, there's a few out there that we could try to find or get to do some things, but, um, it, you know, they're, they're always, those kinds of people are super busy too. So it's hard to nail them down and get them in to do it. And, you know, as time goes on, hopefully we can incorporate some singers that, that, you know, to sit in or do some other things. There's some more well-known people out there, you know, and see if they're uh, into it. So that may happen. 
Now, not only did you play keyboards, you know, for Prince of Revolution, the new power generation, but you also co-wrote several tracks with, with him as well. And I was always wondering what was the creative process like when you, when you wrote songs with Prince? Did like one of you come in with a written part? Was it all evolved from jams? Did it just kind of vary depending on, on how everybody was feeling? Or how did that uh, kind of come about? I'd say that the majority of the stuff uh, that he decided to work with that came from me happened during jam sessions at rehearsals. That's usually how it happened. It usually, I'd, I'd be playing, you know, a chord progression or a riff or doing something and during jamming. And then he would uh, like something he heard and then he would latch onto that and uh, try to build something around it. And that's how that, that worked out. And, and can you remember the first time that you worked with Prince? How did you two first meet and, and begin working on music? And can you remember like the first song that, that you all worked on together? Well, the actual audition for getting into the group took place in October of 1978. And uh, the first album, which was called For You, had been released earlier that year. And he was putting together his, his band and... Uh, uh, I happen to know Bobby Z from for many years because we both grew up in the same community, went to the same high school and all that. And he had uh, made me privy to Prince because he was working for Prince's first manager. Bobby was uh, being an assistant at that time to Owen Husney, who, who uh, was instrumental in uh, finding Prince's record deal with Warner Brothers. So I was introduced to Prince's music uh, in late 1977. Uh, Bobby brought me the demo tape to listen to one night when I was out playing with another band. and He took me out to his car and played it for me. And I said, wow, this is, uh, this is amazing. Who's the band? And he said, well, it's, it's not a band. It's, it's one guy in the <laughs> studio writing and producing everything. And, uh, I'm working for his manager right now and I've been enlisted to kind of assist Prince in these early phases of his career and just help him out. And Bobby wasn't even being considered as a drummer at that point. He was just kind of being, you know, Owen's assistant. So, um, I said, well, what's going to happen? He goes, well, they're going to be, uh, going out to LA and New York to try to procure a record deal for him. I said, well, if he, if he, if he gets signed or even if he doesn't get signed, I'd love to meet him someday just to tell him how much I enjoyed listening to his material and also seeing if there's any synergy between us, if there's any way to play together or maybe audition for a group down the road. If he does put a group together for his you know, touring purposes, if he gets a record deal or whatever. And Bobby said, yeah, I'll definitely keep that in mind and let him know that you're interested. So that, you know, when it came about that he finally got a record deal and had put out the album, that's when I followed up with Bobby and then uh, Owen Husney as well and said, hey, uh, please let me know if I can get an audition. And then they set it up and, and that's how I was uh, brought into the group. So that was the first time I, I, worked, I played for Prince was actually at the audition. And I had to learn a few of the songs off that first album in order to you know, do that. And uh, it went well, and obviously he must have liked me because he, he brought me on board to be his key, one of his keyboard players at that time. And then uh, it wasn't really until the third album that 
uh, he heard something during a jam, which was the song Dirty Mind. It had no title, of course. It was just a musical idea that I had come up with. And kind of spontaneously, actually, that, you know how jam sessions are. You're just riffing off each other. Mm-hmm. And so he, uh, he grabbed that idea, and he had me come out to his uh, place where he had a, a nice little recording set up in the house where he was. And um, he uh, had me work out the song with him at that point, musical side. And then he... He um, uh, literally wrote the lyrics and added guitars and brought it to rehearsal the next morning after I left at about, oh, I think about 10.30 in the evening. And he showed up the next day with a version of a song to play for everybody. So that's how quickly he, he would work. You know? <laughs> pretty, amazing. pretty amazing. So so that, that was my first experience actually uh, collaborating with him on something. Well, I know that, that, you know, not only were you all accomplished players, but especially you were very, uh, I guess, forward thinking as far as using new keyboards at the time, new synthesizers and all that. How much did you all work on or, or work on using new gear? Was that kind of an integral part of the process or you just kind of, you know, you got something, you tried it or, or how much was that a, uh, I guess, a part of the sound when you were working on material? Yeah, well, you know, once I was in the group, I was always making uh equipment ideas for him to look at. And I was always on top of the technology and uh, saying, Hey, let's uh, get one of these to try out or one of those. Here's the latest, greatest uh, instrument coming out this year. and uh, All that. Of course, when I joined the group, he'd already purchased a certain amount of state of the art equipment that he had, which of course I was uh, really excited to work with at that time. But then, you know, within a year of being in the group, I was already making suggestions to him. And we were always, uh, every year, I was always bringing stuff to the table because he, he didn't always keep up on it. So, uh, yeah, I was very instrumental in the equipment side of things at that time, throughout the 80s, actually. I guess I imagine one thing that would be great about being a supporting player for Prince, especially, you know, was being able to watch him perform live every night, kind of getting to see his showmanship. Was that always, were you kind of always amazed by watching him perform live? And, and did you learn anything from that? Or, or what was that like being able to kind of see that every night when you're all on tour? Oh yeah, that was uh, really amazing to watch him evolve too, because, you know, in the early days, the very first showcase gig we ever did for Warner Brothers executives. And this was in January of 1979. So I'd only been in the band a few short months by then. And we rehearsed and got ready to do a, a, a showcase event for them in Minneapolis. So going from that to his eventual, uh, even, you know, uh, leading up to the culmination of the Purple Rain era, he grew exponentially every year as a performer. As, as his confidence grew and grew. Uh, he, you know, from that first showcase event, he was kind of shy, unsure of himself a little bit still, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, he just wasn't quite as gregarious as he became, became, you know, as a performer. So it was really uh, incredible to watch him. Um, gain that confidence and, and do work on choreography and do all the things that you need to do to, to become a star. And, uh, yeah, it's really something definitely fun to watch and evolve. When you look back, you know, at your, 
you know, time during the 80s and, and early 90s when you work at Prince? Does it all seem kind of like a blur when you look back at it? Was that just kind of, did it happen kind of so fast? Was it, did it take a while for, for y'all to get popular or was it with Prince, was it kind of pretty, uh, happened pretty quickly? What was that, what was that period like when you look back at it as far as your, your heyday with, well, with him? It, it, I mean, as far as most artists, you know, some artists are kicking around for oh, quite a while before they break through. And with Prince, it was a nice, slow, steady process. I would say by, you know, after, you know, I was in the groups late in 78, I would say by uh, the 1999 album, he was able to fill arenas. So um, that was only in four short years even under four short years in a way, he, he was able to um, garner a large following and, and then make that progression to uh, do the Purple Rain movie, which was a, a very risky venture, of course, because, you know, even though, uh, you know, 1999, it, it sold 2 million records pretty much worldwide at that point. It, the label, the record label said, well, yeah, you're, you're doing well, but Boy, I don't know if that warrants you, you know, doing a movie at this point in your career. I mean, you know, it even—I mean, it even took David Bowie and Mick Jagger longer to, to achieve those goals. Uh-huh. But he was—he was ambitious, and uh, his management believed in him, and they managed to come to terms with Warner Brothers to create the movie. They didn't want to take the risk, so they—they they shouldered a small portion of the budget and uh, Prince's management decided that they were going to shoulder that side of it primarily. So they, they believed in him so much that they took the risk. I personally uh, believed in his abilities, even though he was an unknown entity to, to get into the movie business. Uh, I, I just knew from his personality and his abilities that he would probably do quite well in a film. So, you know, he came to me with the idea. It was right, right towards the end of the 1999 tour. He sat me down personally, just the two of us, and proceeded to tell me about his plans to do a film. Of course, it, it really uh, it surprised me that he was going to go through that so quickly in his career. And I said, well, hey, you know, whatever you want to do, I'm down for it. I said, if you can make it happen, it sounds like a great idea. And then, of course, when the rest of the band learned of this idea, they were some were skeptical, some weren't. Some were saying, "Well, it's a cool idea, but boy, can he pull it off?" And you know, we were all concerned. You know, because, <laughs> wow, this could make her this could make or break his career. Yeah, you know, it's a, it's it's a very very risky venture, but uh, as we all know, uh, he, he made it work, and uh, Purple Rain was a hit. So. Uh, of course, I, I never really doubted it, but I just knew it would be risky. I knew that, that it could be, it could go either way, the, the chance of success. So, <laughs> you know, that's how it goes. And of course, it was a, a wonderful learning experience for me, uh, you know, to see how filmmaking works. Because, you know, there are only a couple times where I was on a, a movie set in Minneapolis where they were doing a big film and they just happened to be doing the location here in Minneapolis. Of course, they, they shot the movie Airport with Dean Martin and George Kennedy and oh, yeah. uh, Van, Van Heflin and some others. I was 12 years old at the time in 1970, and they went to the 
uh, Minneapolis uh, International Airport and filmed there. And both of my parents, who were also uh, pretty seasoned actors in their own right, they both had degrees from theater at the University of Minnesota, decided that they wanted to become extras for the film. So I was able to go with them and watch some scenes being worked on. Well, they, you know, walked around in the airport in front of cameras and stuff, you know, just being people walking around in the airport. <laughs> so that was, that, was, that was pretty interesting, you know, to see that, seeing how long it took for them to get the, everything set up and the lighting and all the stuff that would go into uh, making these scenes and just the, the long hours that went into filmmaking. And then once Purple Rain was happening and being on the set all day long, you know, it's like, well, you got to show up here for makeup and hair at 7 a.m. and get that ready. And then you're going to just sit in your hair and makeup all day. And then we're going to let you know when we need you. <laughs> and there would, whole days would go by and you'd just be sitting there uh, doing these scenes at First Avenue where we were doing live uh, performance shots. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, of course, we did the one scene where we were in the dressing room of First Avenue, which was actually a set. It wasn't really the First Avenue dressing room. And, uh, you know, that was a separate area away from First Avenue that they put together. But those long days at First Avenue waiting to shoot was really uh, interesting. Watching them, watching the set, the, 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 the setups take place. And there were some days where you were just on call and you didn't do anything. So you were there all day from like 7 a.m. on call till, you know, uh, you'd leave at 9 or 10 at night. And that was it. And you'd just be there hanging out with people. So there, there was a lot of socializing going on in the background with people. And then, of course, when they were shooting scenes, it's like, okay, quiet on the set. Then you'd have to you know, be quiet, not talk to anybody. And uh, that, that's how it went. It was, uh, it was truly a, a great experience watching that whole uh, creative process take place. I mean, what does it feel like when you you know, realize you're, you know, some of the biggest, you know, sequels of all time, some of the biggest albums of all time, you know, with Purple Rain, of course, not always a movie a hit, but the soundtrack is just, you know, it's one of the best albums ever made. Is that very humbling or it kind of blows your mind that, that, that you were involved in that? And what does that feel like to have that, that is still so well-received and, and revered today? Well, it, yeah, it, um, even at the time, it, it, it was hard work to sink in, you know, the reality of it. Hmm. But, once it did sink in, I just, you know, I, you just had to go with it, go with the flow and, and enjoy the ride. That was about all you could do, you know, and just be, be grateful that it went well and that, that people enjoyed your work. And that was the big, biggest, uh, most satisfying part for, for all of us was just, uh, you know, being in that, uh, that moment, you know, it, it really was fun. Lot of fun. And you, you know, I mean, so many bands when they want to make it big, they go to New York or they go to LA. But you all always stayed in, in Minneapolis. I was curious what that, what reason was that? I guess what was the main reason to stay? You know, kind of that home base. And and what do you feel that I guess the band kind of drew from the power of the city? What was it? What was Minneapolis like as far as a musical kind of source? And and what made you all want to always kind of stick there? Stick there when you were making new music? Well, that, that we have a fight. We have and still have. We had and still have a very vibrant uh, music scene and theater scene here in Minneapolis and St. Paul. 
and there have been a lot of a lot of great people come out of here. Um, uh, of course, you know there were many times we'd have to fly out to LA in order to shoot videos and do some other things and record before he built Paisley Park. Um, so we we were we had a taste of uh, both areas. We never really went to New York. We were just mainly out in LA mm-hmm. uh, for for that side of the business. But but Prince enjoyed Minneapolis because it afforded him privacy. And, you know, it, it's less crowded here. It's got a, a less expensive standard of living. His family was here. All the rest of us, our families were here, although uh, Lisa and Wendy were L.A. natives. So they, they would be here, of course, doing a lot with us, but then they would, you know, go back home when they needed to. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, believe me, I, there were more than once I considered moving to Los Angeles but uh, growing up in Minneapolis um, and then, you know, tasting the L.A. lifestyle, I actually preferred uh, Minneapolis, even though it gets colder than you know what here. <laughs> uh, uh, but as Prince used to say, the, the cold weather keeps out the riffraff. <laughs> he used to say that. And then, you know, that way, uh, you know, we didn't have to contend with uh, whatever, you know. Too many, too, bit, too many people here. We didn't have too many people. It was nice. It wasn't crowded. Traffic was manageable. You know, in L.A., the, uh, the notorious freeway traffic is really something else. And um, yeah, it's terrible. Uh, I've lived there for a yeah, while, so but, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I mean, and you just have to learn how to navigate it. Hopefully, not have the kind of job where you have to deal with the rush hour every day. But uh, no matter what I did out there, I would run into the traffic, so it mm-hmm. didn't matter. Uh, but I still, you know, I still get out there, and I have an older son, my oldest son, who uh, is out there now. He's working in the music industry, and so he's been out there for three years and starting to have some traction. So I'm out there visiting him several times a year with my wife, and uh, we really um, enjoy it when we're out there, especially in the winter time. Oh yeah, it's a nice from escape. Nicole, you know, <laughs> so so it does have its it has its caveats, you know. <laughs> well, I'm obviously you know the revolution celebrating Prince's music and you know and, and touring and playing all those old classic tunes. But have you all given any thought or any uh, I guess any uh, thought to making new music together? Have you worked in any new material, or is that something that's on the horizon that 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 might be coming up sooner? Or? Well, I. I I, it's been talked about. I certainly hope we do something at some point. Uh, right now, the the um, the estate, Prince's estate and family, are uh, curating uh, a lot of the music that's been unreleased in his uh, archives, and that that kind of stuff is going to be released over time. And there will be more revolution material coming out, probably that's that hasn't been heard by the public. So. In a sense, uh, we may just hold off until they they decide what to do, and then if there's uh, some material that is put out there and it's something that we can perform, uh, we may do it that way, and then at that time maybe add a couple originals. But uh, right now, there's no definite plans for release of brand new material at this time. But it may happen. Um, is there anything that that you've that you remember that you all recorded with Prince that you're kind of excited about coming out? Yes. Yes. There are certain songs in there that, uh, that would be nice to see out. Definitely. Um, 
basically. And, you know, that also, some, some of that stuff got leaked years ago on bootleg. It wasn't mixed properly, though. And it would be nice if some of those songs were mixed properly and remastered properly and then, you know, come out again so they can be heard the way they're meant to be heard. I know that Prince was always, you know, very protective of that. He didn't like his songs getting on YouTube or streaming or stuff like that or, you know, being mm-hmm. bootlegged. But I know yeah. that, that for a while you also operated a, a tribute band to Prince in, in, in Minneapolis. And I was curious, was that, I think he was still alive at that point when you started that, correct? Am I right about that? Yes. Did he have any like stipulations as far as what or he had any requests that he would didn't want certain songs performed or did he ever really have any, any input no. on that? No, not really. He just, uh, um, he, he took a bit of a, he had a prop with our lead singer dressing like him. He didn't really want that happening. And, uh, of course, um, I said I would do my best to see if we could have our lead singer not do any costuming. But, uh, unfortunately, that didn't happen the way he wanted. (laughs) 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 Well, I, you know, I can only make suggestions. You know, that, that that group, which was called the, you know, the Purple Experience, they're, they're still out there performing. The thing about them, though, is that uh, the, the, the gentleman who's the front man and the bass player, it was really their idea. It wasn't my idea to do that group. And they came to me because we, we did a show together for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame with another uh, one of Prince's mentors, uh, Peppy Willie. Uh, was involved with that show and we performed with him and uh Pepe was married to Prince's one of his cousins and that's how they met in the mid-70s and it was Pepe who was really one of the first people that gave Prince's early experiences recording in the studio with his band and all that stuff so we did this show and after the show this was back in 2010 those two two guys who I knew who were also brought in to play with Pepe said, you know, we've been thinking about doing a Prince uh, tribute act. Would you be interested in doing it with us? And uh, I just said, well, uh, I have to think about it. I let several months go by with that idea because I knew that it would probably not be met with the best uh, reception by Prince. Mm-hmm. And I really, I really did my best to try to communicate with him before I made my final decision to do it. And I just couldn't get a hold of him. He was so busy. So uh, I did make the decision to go forward with it and, and do it because I didn't really think it was going to do any harm at that time and uh, just would help to, to uh, you know, promote his brand and our brand at the time from the past. So, you know, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, and, you know, and the fans, the fans enjoyed it. They, a lot of them were, would tell me that they really were happy that I was out doing that again because they, they, a they either never got to see Prince live because they they couldn't make it or they couldn't afford the ticket or um, it just didn't work out for them and this was the next best thing for them to uh, hear the music. Well, that was my experience of a revolution last year seeing y'all play in Austin. I was like, I never got to see Prince. I remember I was trying to see him in high school. I got tickets and my parents would let me go because I had like bad grades. Sure. That time. And I was just like, sure. I was devastated. So getting to see that, I mean, and just watching the crowd too, I mean, everybody was so, it was a very, I think emotionally kind of experience for a lot of people there, not just the band, but I felt the crowd was, I know I was really moved by some, some of the songs that y'all did. And it was just really powerful. I mean, I, I wish I could have seen him of course, but seeing y'all play was really, it was, it was a, 
one of the best shows I've ever seen. I was really taken by it. So, and oh, I just you saw the main show, yeah. Well, of course, there's nothing like the real deal, and I'm I'm so happy that the revolution reunited because that's what I've always wanted all along, um, for many years actually, and, and and really wished that we had been able to do it with Prince, but um, for and and he actually was starting to talk about reuniting. Uh, when I met with him in uh, late 2014, I had a meeting and he, he actually expressed his desire to do that at some point in the near future. So, uh, it didn't come to fruition, obviously, but, um, I knew in his heart that he was thinking about it. Well, I mean, in addition to, to working with the revolution, are there any other solo projects you're working on currently or any other musical, um, things you have going on right now that, that... yeah, you know, I'm, I'm always doing, uh, a little bit of studio work on the side. Um, there's an artist, a, a young budding female singer here in uh, Minnesota, who I started working with a little over a year ago. And we just finished a six song EP for her. And actually January 2nd, there's going to be a local uh, video release party for two of the videos from the six songs. And then she's just going to sing the rest of the album as well, live and have some other, other artists are going to be there. That's happening January 2nd here in Minneapolis. And uh, her name is uh, Michelle Rose. And uh, she'll be releasing that material in 2019. I co-wrote and co-produced, or mainly produced and wrote the majority of the material. I also had some co-writers on the songs as well, besides Michelle doing some lyrical work too. And then um, there's also uh, a music streaming service called My My Music, which I'm involved with as a, the director of artist relations. And this is a brand new platform dedicated to independent hip-hop and R&B artists. It's currently available in Apple uh, Android app stores. And it's called My My Music Hip-Hop. And it's been out since last March. And it's doing quite well so far. Got quite a, many artists on board. It's it's really interesting and it's you know curated by the public. People are encouraged to listen to music in the blind and actually judge the songs, which uh, helps them get into the music streams that we provide. Very cool. I'll have to yeah. check that out. Yeah, mymymusic.com or mymymusic uh, hip hop the app. You can download it on your iPhone and check it out if you like. Excellent. Well, I look for look forward to seeing you all play in emos in a couple of weeks. So I can't wait to see you guys play. And I thank you for talking to me today. It's been a real pleasure talking to you. So thank you so much. Yeah, and feel free to look me up. Maybe, uh, hopefully, we can meet up in the show. That would be great. I will do. Bye bye. A big thanks to Matt Fink for taking the time out to talk to me today. It was a real pleasure getting to chat with him. You can keep track of all things Doctor Fink at Doctor Fink on Twitter, and all things the Revolution at the Revolution on Twitter. So thanks for tuning in. Be sure to check back soon. We've got a very lively, entertaining episode on your way. I think you're all going to really enjoy it. Until then, take care. Have a safe holiday season, and we'll talk to you soon.